Cecilia, one question. Why do neuroscientists use fish to study the eye and the retina? You have three seconds. One, two, three. How come you're killing strong? Because it's easier. Um, I don't know. They are small. They, they, I don't know. <laughs> okay. I, I don't know either, actually. I don't know. But it doesn't matter because this whole episode will be about the eye and the retina. So hopefully we'll find out today. The science basement. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Science Basement Podcast, a podcast for people who love or want to learn more about all things science. I'm your host, Giuliano. And I'm your co-host, Cecilia. And actually, Cecilia, this is, isn't it, your first episode as a co-host. So... A round of applause yes, it to you. And for the people listening, if wow. you actually hear applause, it's because Cecilia did edit a round of applause to herself. So, <laughs> thank you, Cecilia. Anyway. Nice. <laughs> so, uh, the episode will be all about the eye and the retina. And to discuss about this amazing topic, we have a very special guest. Now, special because she's actually not only a brilliant scientist but you know we actually say that to everyone uh but also because she's actually a university friend of mine and a university friend of Cecilia she actually graduated in neuroscience in the University of Trieste Italy as Cecilia and I did and now she's a PhD student at the University of Technology in Dresden Germany hello Laura how are you today Hello, alles gut, they say here in Germany, so everything is all right, thank you. How are you guys? I'm great. Me too. Okay. We all I am great as well. <laughs> okay. Yay! So, I mean, it's a good thing considering the times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, am I right in saying that you, you Laura, study the eye? You study the retina, is that correct? Yeah, the eye and the retina are, I would say, two different things, right? right? Let's Sorry, say yeah. that the retina is the part of the eye. Yes, right. I'm a bit picky, I know. Yeah. I guess it's your job. Uh, <laughs> thank you, yeah. We don't you know, want to give wrong information here. We need, we at least need to keep a appearance yeah. of professionality. So thank you for the correction. Yeah. <laughs> also, you have been awarded something for the, the, you know, outstanding PhD student in the year 2020. So apparently, you know. We have a big deal here, Cecilia. Yeah. Did you know that? Yeah, I have yes. a kind of responsibility to, to hold here, right? So I, I have to be precise. And so to be precise, the retina is a part of the eye, I would say. And you can imagine it as a carpet of neuron, of neurons lie, um, uh, covering the back of the, of the eyeball. Yes. A carpet of neurons? Now that's the, that's a beautiful way to describe it. Okay, so I, I how so first of all, okay, let's let's start from the beginning. Like, how is the eye made, and then we'll focus on how you know what the retina is. So just a brief overview: how is the eye made? Yeah, so we have the the eyeball, and uh, you have the pupil, that is this uh, small hole that is at the center of the eye, through which we have the light going through. Mm -hmm. And behind we have the, actually there are the chambers and first of all we have the lens 
that is important to focus the light on the back of the eye, so behind the vitreous, where mm -hmm. we have the actual retina. So okay. basically, the back wall of the eye is covered by a carpet of neurons, mm -hmm. and these neurons are the first ones that detect the light and um, process it to, to, to allow us to, to see our visual field. Okay, so just tell me if I got it right. Like we can imagine, can we imagine like the eye like an empty bowl and then like the retina is just like covering the internal sign? Yeah, well, empty yeah. is not no, really, no, course, really yeah. So, yeah. exact, right? Yeah. Because we have the vitreous, which yeah. also gives shape to the, to the eye, but we are mm -hmm. not going to focus on the vitreous okay. today. It's just that behind this bowl, mm -hmm. that is kind of gelatinous bowl, let's imagine it like that. Mm -hmm. We have the, 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 the back wall of the eye and on the wall, we, we find the retina. So, and that's why I say it's a carpet of neurons. That's the way I try to figure myself the retina in my brain. That's the way I try to see mentally the retina, which allows us to See in practice, right? <laughs> do we have For a badunch sound available, Cecilia? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, a I, I just love the metaphor of the carpet of neuron. Okay, so now that we know where the retina is and you know what the eye is, although I guess most of us at least were confident with the idea. So okay, so how is the retina made? Like, what is it made of? So you said it's a it's a carpet of neurons. Are they all the same? Yeah. What are they doing there? Yes, yeah. So basically, the retina um, is quite beautiful because um, it it has a very ordered architecture. What do I mean? You can clearly recognize three layers of cells in the in the retina, and each layer hosts a specific cell type or more than one cell type, but um, depending on the location of these cells, you can easily name them in a way that uh, the first layer that actually is at the very back of the eye is made of rods and cones. So the famous cells that allow us to, to see in the first step. Why? Because they are the first ones that sense the incident light on the retina. And they, they made up the, the first layer. And then we have just below the second layer that is made of other cell types. I would mention now, uh, just for the sake of our topic today, one cell type, which is the Mueller glia. Um, and Bless you. maybe we are going to... <laughs> no, I mean, why did I mention Mueller glias in the, this second layer of cell types? First of all, this is not a neuronal cell. It's the main, it's another cell type of the nervous system. And uh, it is special because actually it's the protagonist of my work in the fish. Aha, okay. Yes. <laughs> then we come to the, yeah. Because um, why do I study the retina? And why do I do this in the fish? Um, ah. Yeah. Why? <laughs> so, let's, let's hear yeah. the real answer to this, please. Yes. Cecilia, Cecilia, please take why notes. Do... And then yes, please... I will. 
like lend them to me because I want to know the answer yeah, as well. Please pay attention. So um, um, the fish, and in particular the zebra fish, which is the animal model I'm using for my research, uh, has this remarkable ability to repair a damaged retina. And this repair process is guaranteed by the Mueller glia. So that's why this is a very special cell type that we have also in our human retina. But for reasons that we are exploring, um, our retina, the human one, cannot repair itself, whereas this occurs in the zebrafish retina. And this is quite remarkable. So if I understood correctly, both zebrafish retina and our human's retina, they have this Muller glia. Yes. And like they are more or less the same, I guess. Yes, yes. Okay. They have the same structure, um, the same function. They share many uh, pathways and genes, many molecules, okay? They mm -hmm. But we are not yet at the point to, to know why okay. the fish glia can repair the retina, whereas mm -hmm. one not. Aha. So wait, 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 wait. The human retina and the fish retina, they both have these cells that are supposed to be able to regenerate, and yet the fish can regenerate the retina and the humans can't. Uh -huh. Yeah, exactly. And is this, is, this what you, is this your research focus? Yes, I am focused on a particular step of this regenerating process in the fish. Um, so basically, I'm trying to find out how um, the daughters of the activated Müller glia, so of the glia that has been activated by the lesion, um, can make new neurons and how this process um, occurs in the regenerating zebrafish retina. That's the focus of my project. Okay, wait, so maybe I missed uh, this step. So uh, you said daughter of the Müller glia. So did I understand correctly? So the Müller glia in order to regenerate the retina, which is the job of the Müller glia, what does it do? Does it replicate in other cells that yeah. then? Yeah. That's the peculiarity of the glia, uh, of the Müller glia in the fish. They, they are activated and they kind of become a stem cell. So they, I mean, normally they are, we say in jargon, differentiated cells. So they are cells that have a full um, morphology. They do a specific task. They are devoted to do specific things. But when the lesion occurs in the zebrafish retina, the glia kind of revert its state. So it becomes um, proliferative again. So normally it doesn't proliferate, but if it senses an injury, it divides and generates uh, a daughter, which is named progenitor in jargon. So progenitor is another cell type that is actually the main focus of my work because it is the one that divides furthermore and generates a bunch of cells that in the end can make new retinal neurons. Okay, so new those are the those are the stem cells, the daughters of the Müller glia. 
Yes, yes. I mean, the, the thing with Mueller glia, we say it's a stem cell, but mm, because it doesn't re reprogram, it's a, it's a very specific term. So it kind of keeps its clear identity in terms of morphology and also some molecules, but at the same time, it expresses stem cell markers and peculiarly it divides. And this is okay. something that normally a differentiated cell doesn't do, right? Uh -huh. Okay, and so, what happens? So uh, there is a something happens to the retina, right? A lesion, like a sword goes <laughs> through the eye and hits the, a, a very tiny sword, goes through the eye. I mean, normally eye. what happens in the human retina mm. uh, most likely is a genetic disease, ah, right? Okay. So, so no sword involved. Luckily, I would say. <laughs> I won't luckily. say I'm disappointed. That's it. That's I mean... It. Yeah, no, the most frequent cause of retinal disease is a genetic modification, okay? Or there are some pathologies that are they, like the age-related macular degeneration. So it's a pathology that comes with age and there's basically a degeneration of the rods and cones, the cells I was mentioning before that sends the light. And, um, but normally uh, there are genetic alterations in your retinal cells and most likely they are photoreceptors, but also there are other pathologies like glaucoma, for instance. In that case, we have um, the involvement of another cell type in the retina, which are the retinal ganglion cells. And um, maybe you know them because uh, their cables, which are named accents in German, in, in, ger in jargon, sorry, not in German. <laughs> uh, is, is it the same word in German as well? Do you know how, it, like, how is they are it called in German? In German? Uh, don't ask me difficult questions okay. here. I can, <laughs> you know? Fair enough. <laughs> I'm here to talk about retina, not about my knowledge of German, which is still right. very poor. Uh, <laughs> I stay on track. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, maybe you know the retinal ganglion cells because their cables, so the accents make the optic nerve. So it's the, the you know, the, 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 the um, stalk that connects the, the retina to the brain. That's the thing. Yeah, it's and, like, it, it's like um, many wires that kind of like, um, they like they coil around each other to make a big cable that then brings all the information yeah, well, into the brain. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. They they represent a highway, okay, mm. through which the visual information that is already processed in the retina travels to reach the higher areas of the vision system that are located in the brain, basically. Mm. And in, in why the ganglion cells, they can degenerate as well in the glaucoma disease, for instance. No, so, but yeah. when I was asking you about, you know, the sword and the silly example of a tiny sword, I was actually trying to understand what happens in a normal retina. So, for example, in a retina that is actually able to regenerate, like a healthy fish, a healthy zebra fish, right? So just to understand how a Mueller glia works. So what kind of lesion... Uh, could happen that the, the Mueller glia could be actually be useful, like um, a scratch or um, I, I don't know, some like some some a, a part of the retina breaks. So what happens? The Mueller glia senses the damage, start activating and start replicating, and the daughter yes, of the Mueller exactly. glia cells start 
exactly. And the sensing, the sensing occurs because you know when you have a tissue damage, and this is a very mm. general um, um, thing that happens in biology. Okay, mm. we have a damage to the tissue, and so that's the release of molecules that signal to um, cell types like the immune cells also, and in this case, Mueller glia, they, they tell them, listen guys, here there's something going wrong and some, something is dying. In, for instance, rods and cones are dying and um, we need, first of all, to clean up the lesioned area because we don't want debris and all the trash that is subsequent to a cell death. So we need to clean up this thing, and this is this is an ensured by uh, another cell type in the retina, which is the microglia. So these are the the um, the bodyguards, okay, of of the tissue, and they or they or, or maybe the unknowing host, uh, because I'm imagining this scenario where there is a huge hangover and everything is destroyed on the table, and the host comes. Out. Okay, guys. We need to clean up now. There are dead bodies on the floor. Before replacing yeah. them, we need to clean up the place. Okay, I got it. Yeah, right. Understood. Exactly. And they make sure that they clean up. Actually, this is really interesting. And the, the research on the microglia role in the retina regeneration, but also in, in the brain regeneration, because microglia is also in the brain. It's an intense topic of research because... Uh, the peculiarity of the fish nervous system, I would say, which includes both retina and brain, is that um, the microglia not only uh, clean up the, the, the lesioned area, but it's really necessary to ensure um, an appropriate regeneration. If you kind of remove these guys, the regenerative process is impaired. It cannot occur. And what is tricky and what we try, not myself in person, but also other people, not only in my lab, we try to understand why this cleaning process in the fish is transient. And then afterwards, there's a kind of uh, um, an environment where the regeneration can take place. This doesn't occur in the, in the nervous system of humans because um, inflammation can um, become chronic and it can form a scar in the tissue that is detrimental for the regeneration. This is really, really important that makes really a difference in the fish. We lack the scar in the retina, but also in the brain. And we do not know why. That's something that also they are trying to find out. But this is not the focus of my topic, actually. I wanted just to, to point out this important aspect. Okay, so a damage happens. Miller glia gets activated, start reproducing. The daughter of the microglia start reproducing more to replace the damaged cells. Is that more or less what happens? Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's correct. And so the daughters, uh, they first of all, you know, they just ensure that there are enough daughters that can then mature to fully functional neurons. Fully functional in brackets, because still we do not know if they are really fully functional, but at least morphologically wise, it seems that after one month from the lesion, the architecture, the beautiful architecture of the retina I was mentioning before is completely restored. 
Then functionality, there are some clues that tell us that yes, they are functional again, but also this is an intense area of research in the field. So you start with one daughter and like then they, there are many daughters that give like birth to other cell types. Is it like, can they give birth to any kind of cell type or like, yes. uh, okay. We say that they are multipotent, right? Okay. So in jargon, it's multipotent. So it means that the potential of these cells to give rise to rods, cones, or the, the ganglion cells I was mentioning before is the same. Okay. So I think it's quite clear the, um, the research question. Now, I understand that there is a difference in the capacity of regeneration of the retina between human and, and fish. Now, what's the utility in studying the fish? You know, okay, they can do that. And why are we studying this? The, the nice thing of the zebra fish is that it is a diurnal animal. It means that he, let's say, he spends most of the of his day when it's when the daylight is on, right? It's not a nocturnal animal like mice, for instance. And this makes him a, an animal that has also a cone density that is similar to our cone density. Now, what do I mean with cone density? So the number of cones in a specific area of the- So wait, the cones is, you know, the, the cones and, and, and uh, the, 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 the rods and cones, right? The, the, yes, the two the type of photoreceptors, the neurons that- detect the light, right? Okay. Exactly. And in particular, the cones, this mm -hmm. is beautiful, they detect colors. Okay. So and what do rods do then? The rods allows us to see when the light intensity is low, namely ah. in the dark, you know? So in jargon, we say they are devoted to scotopic vision. Scotopic derives from Greek. Or as 90% uh, of the scientific word. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I don't know exactly the Greek word because I didn't study Greek, but it derives from Greek and it, you know, it means uh, dark, basically. Uh -huh. So the, the roads allows us to see in conditions when the intensity of light is really, really oh. dim, right? Okay. Yeah. Yes. And so the cones... So the rods are for low light, cones are the ones that detect the colors. Okay. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. they, they detect the colors and we know that detecting colors means that they can catch the light that has a particular wavelength. Mm -hmm. So um, um, the characteristic that gives light a specific color, let's put like yeah. that. I yeah, don't yeah, want yeah. to go into the details. Yeah. Yes. And in particular, it's nice because fish have, uh, apart all the other cell types in the retina, like the glia, as we were saying, uh, um, that are the same as our cell types in the retina, the fish has also the three main cones that allow us to see the red, the green, and the blue light. But also they have um, the UV cones. So fish can see also in the UV light. And this is something that we wow. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and they need to because, you know, they are freshwater fish and their main um, food is paramecia. And if I'm not wrong, paramecia, they reflect light in the UV 
spectrum. Okay. So is it like an insect or what? They are microorganisms. They're not insects, no. Okay, so and, they see in the UV uh, spectrum. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and this is something that is different from us. But apart from this, they are very nicely uh, similar in terms of the retina structure and function to our retina. And also the advantage of the fish is that, first of all, the development of the retina is quite similar to our development of our retina because oh, the development Yes, it's, it's kind of shared among vertebrates, the sequence of events that allow um, retinal development. And also uh, for the fishes, particular advantages because um, the fertilization of the eggs uh, is external. So, you know, uh, it, it happens uh, out of the mummy, let's put like that. And also the embryos are transparent. So did I get it right that the reason we're stu you're studying zebrafish is because it's they're transparent? So I so I didn't. Is there any knowledge that we can then translate into humans, or is it like pure research, which you know is perfectly fine by the way? Well, there are many research labs that are really devoted to study zebrafish um, to dissect the mechanisms that allow a successful repair, with the hope to translate these to the human clinics in the future. Okay. And this is nice because we have to think that, okay, it's a fish and we imagine it as really distant from humans and it's something that is really far away from the way we are. But actually uh, the zebrafish shares the 70% of the genome with, our, with us. 70%? Yes. And um, many of the molecules and of the factors and indeed of the cells that ensure uh, a fish to see and to use properly its retina are the same as the human retina. Now the trick is to understand why the hell we lost the ability to repair our retina if we have the protagonist of this uh, process which is the glia why the hell can you tell me guys <laughs> we were hoping you would tell us yeah, so exactly. it makes sense. why i mean yeah i mean if the whole structure do? is there like what has happened is I, there maybe an evolutionary reason like uh, i don't know <laughs> so can i can i ask okay just a comment from an ignorance because i know nothing about the eye everything i know about the eye i just learned it from you tonight mm -hmm. but what i have kind of got the impression uh studying biology and stuff is that you, you know you every time you you gain in complexity you have to trade uh away flexibility and this kind of regeneration abilities and stuff like that is it possible that the human eye although genetically is very similar somehow reached a level of complexity that has a cost you had to that you had to pay you had to give you i don't know you know my view sometimes is that there are not always why, you know, there are not always reasons why we develop or we do something. I mean, at least this is something I remember, I recall from uh, my bachelor. I, I remember once I asked my, my, my physiology professor, why the hell the kidneys are like this? Why the hell the circuit of the kidneys is like this? And she was like, there's no why to ask, it's like this. And in that specific case, I can't recall now, but it was a case when I couldn't see any gain in having a circuit like that. 
I can't recall now what was the detail, unfortunately, but it was even more complicated. Sometimes we are, as biologists, used to think of energy saving. As, oh, yeah, that's a very common right? argument, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. But, but, but in that specific case of the kidney circuit, there was a specific thing that was really expensive in terms of energy. And I was like, why the hell we have this? And she was like, you can't always ask why. That it is. And but you know, sorry, it's just that you can't always ask why. It's like a, a like the worst motto for a science teacher. <laughs> no, no, actually, no. I actually, no, no. I I could see the point. You know, this is this is becoming philosophical. I would say, but I think that you know, for sure, there are reasons that evolution and nature know about that. At the moment, we are not at that point as scientists. I, uh, maybe I'm not also very well informed myself because I have to reveal you a secret, guys. The reason why I am studying the retina, I mean, I am really happy that people want to, to cure retinal diseases and to repair human retina. This is a very important topic and a very important aim. But the reason why I, as Laura, want to study the retina is because it's beautiful. That's the only reason I in my case. I am just anytime astonished by the beauty of the tissue under the microscope. And I want to keep um, watching at this beauty and my question is how it comes that it is made up like that or how it comes that it's restored a beautiful architecture like that curiosity driven uh yes purely curiosity driven that's nice can i can i thank you deeply for <laughs> this honest answer no listen because i think in science we have this issue that we are losing I wouldn't say that people, that scientists stopped doing research because they're curious. I think they do that. But I think like most of the time we're scared in saying that we're doing research just because we're curious about it. We always feel the pressure in saying, oh, we're doing this because it will cure this. You're doing it because it's a fascinating topic. You're doing it because you want to know the answer or you're doing it because it just looks beautiful, as you said. So thank you for saying that. I, I wish more researchers, you know, had felt the freedom to say, I just studied this because I found it fascinating. I know, I know. Yeah, I mean, that's the reason why I became a neuroscientist, you know, because of beauty of neurons, that's the thing. And the retina in particular is really tricky because uh, it has this, as I say, the stratified architecture. Each cell belongs to a specific layer. You can't mess up. If it's messed up, there's a problem there. And we have a retinal disease, for instance. And also... It is very complex, but also it is very, you know, you can easily recognize a retina when you see under the microscope. There's no doubt, okay, this is the retina. And these are photoreceptors because they are in the first layer of the retina. You know, this kind of order, maybe, I don't know, it's a personal taste, but it's really harmonic. And I see, you know, the beauty of art perfection in this case. And also the retina is complex, but not as complex as the brain, which is advantageous in a certain way in terms of research, you know? So I am sometimes a lazy neuroscientist and I don't want to lose my mind. <coughs> Says the awarded, excellent PhD student of year 20. I mean, you know, right, there are... Right. 
there are people that want like you Giuliano you want really to go deep into this synaptic plasticity of the brain and there are people that study the the celebrity, the celebrity, who is the celebrity in the neuroscience, the hippocampus, right? And oh, yeah, I, oh, I, I hate the hippocampus, right? No, I, I mean, come on, joking, don't, don't go I'm like joking. that. I mean, it's beautiful, but it's too complex for me, you know? And if you think of other brain area, oh, my God, we you are You know what I think of the hippocampus? Everyone loves it, and it knows that. You can see the, the arrogance under a microscope of the mind. Yeah, the hippocampus you. saying, I know I'm the hippocampus. Anyway, yeah, this is just neuroscience gossip. Uh, yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah, no, you know, I mean, and that's true. I mean, it's really fascinating. It's memory there, right? Who doesn't like memory? You know, that's the problem. And I use, I, I actually, when I used to be a, ch a child, I was chatting for hours with my daddy and he was asking me relentless, relentlessly, Laura, but how come that I can recall the words of a, a song that my daddy was singing me? How come memory? And I was like, I don't know, daddy, I have to find out. And this is why I started neuroscience. I have to find out why daddy can recall the songs. Wait, 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 wait. This is the most romantic thing I've ever heard. Yes, I so am. you're telling me <laughs> That the, re the initial reason why, as a kid, you started wanting to become a scientist is to understand why your dad couldn't remember a song from his childhood. Could remember. Could? He could remember. He could. Yes. Oh, yeah, sorry, he could. That was the amazing there, you know, the amazing part. How come that I recall the whole words of a song that my daddy, so my grandfather in that case, was singing to my daddy when he was a kid. And I was like, yeah, daddy, I really don't know. We have to find out this. And so that's why I approached the neuroscience. And then I approached neuroscience and I got into troubles because I found out that hippocampus is, is not the, or the cerebral cortex is not the only topic in neuroscience. <laughs> Guys, did you remember we have the retina the the cerebellum the basal ganglia um the i don't know the, the sleep circuit all these topics and yeah and then yeah it's it's pretty like there's a lot of stuff to yeah. study and like and then i i think that the retina is since i am also lazy as i was saying is also kind of you know it's a small scale neuroscience but still, if you then dig deep into the retina, it's not that simple as one can, can imagine. I am so moved. I'm about <laughs> to cry. No, I'm not. But uh, that, was, that was honestly lovely. This story about you wanting to understand why your dad could remember. Uh, this is beautiful. One more question, unless Chichida has any other comment or questions. No, no. You go, Julian. Just one final. Like, very, very silly. We've been through... The, the science of the eye and the retina then we've been through the, the the philosophy now just something personal i guess you know in your work you do several techniques some very nice some other really bad where's the block <coughs> what uh and so what is your favorite technique or your favorite experiment that you've done so far the one that you said oh i i, I was just so happy to get out of bed during those days no doubt about this. I really love immunohistochemistry. It's beautiful, isn't it? Because when the staining works, I don't know. Maybe I was always lucky, but my stainings work 
pretty well. I mean, it depends, of course, on, but the majority of them work beautiful. And I mean, the reason why I like immunohistochemistry, as I said, that then I can go to the microscope. I mean, first of all, what's immunohistochemistry? Yes, like? exactly. Very briefly, it's a technique that allows us to highlight some features in a sample. And it's really colored them, right? You see yeah, them on the microscope color, and they have different colors. Them, yeah. And you color some of these features. You want to see a specific protein, a specific molecule in the tissue. Okay, you color it. And then you color. And then I have to use my cones under the microscope to see what I color. That's the thing. Retina everywhere. Exactly. This is inception. like Exactly. An inception psychedelic uh, epiphany. So you, you are using your own rods and cones, most specifically the cones, to see other cones that you yeah. stained oh that's beautiful it's a matryoshka <laughs> and you know do you know matryoshka from russia these dolls with the small doll inside and the yeah. small doll inside you know that's that's the beautiful part so that's why that's my favorite uh, technique in my job nice thank you uh so i don't know if laura i don't know if you know how the science basement podcast works but at the end of every episode the co-host, in our case, the lovely Cecilia, usually just ends the episode with a fun fact from any field of science or human knowledge. So, Cecilia, what you got for us today? Okay, so um, it might not be as fun for some people, but for me it was very interesting and very funny to learn. As you guys know, uh, other people don't know, but I am a big fan of uh, cat videos. I could spend my hours and days <laughs> watching YouTube videos and definitely the YouTube algorithm doesn't help me because like it, it, it keeps showing to me these videos. So I, I start and, and I cannot end it anymore. So for people that are like me and maybe are cat lovers. Um, people might know that uh, some plants like catnip and silver vine are cat attractant. And uh, basically after sniffing these plants, uh, cats go crazy. Not only domestic cats, but also the big ones, like the, the I don't know, the, the jaguar or the lynx, these like big cats as well. And they start rolling and rubbing in it and they become very playful. And the effect lasts for five, 15 minutes after exposure. And it seems that these plants contain some common chemicals. And now, like three days ago, there has been a paper published from scientists from three Japanese universities and um, Liverpool University. And what they have shown is that they were able to extract a new substance from silver vine specifically that gives this euphoric behavior from cats. And uh, they show that it's regulated through the opioid receptors. So it results in an increase of beta endorphins levels, basically. They're high. <laughs> yes, the they're high. high. They're high. And, but like the, the question here, like people could see that, that these plants were giving this effect. They went more into deep to it. They started wondering whether these had actually a function. Like, is there a function to this behavior that the cats show? And what they found is that this substance seems to be a mosquito repellent. 
So it seems that like while rolling and uh, rubbing this substance on themselves, it gets in their fur and uh, this allows them to be less likely to get bitten by mosquitoes and therefore they are less likely to get possible disease that are carried by mosquitoes. It's not only for fun, like for Cecilia's fun watching videos, but it, it, it has actually a protective function. So I, I was quite um, interested by it. So wait, these plants, right, they produce a substance. So the cats, they get it on their fur to avoid mosquitoes. But if they smell it, they get hot. Does it happen yeah. often? Like, is it something that happens in nature? I mean, what I understood... something discovered by the science? Like, hey, what happens if I give this to my cats? No, this has been known for a long time, like that uh, catnip and other plants have these... Uh, effect on cats actually also what they now are discussing these scientists is that like why only cats why well, cats and big cats have these and like other animals don't show this kind of reaction for example catnip and i, I guess no like idea. catnip is called like that i, I don't know actually i should uh, check this but i guess catnip might be called like that Makes because sense. of the effects on the cat as well did you know this laura no I didn't. Maybe because I don't like cats. Yes, I know you don't like them. <laughs> oh, God. But I was super entertained. Like, I was fully onto, like... But have, you, have you ever seen a cat it. under the effect of this stuff? Oh, if people don't have seen it, like, I please go on YouTube and check it because they are so freaking cute. But what do they do? Like, how do they They go behave? crazy. They just start rolling and rubbing and, like, you know, they are super cute. But are they rolling, like, rubbing happy or, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are super playful. Like, actually, there are toys that, like, uh, are sold with the uh, catnip in it, I think. So, that, like, cats can play with it and get high. And, uh, it's like, I don't it's know. It's a thing. <laughs> okay, sure. Like, let's entertain our cat. Let's get it high. Okay. Brilliant. I mean, why only human can have fun? That's true. That is so true. Don't yeah. be You're right. Yeah, they the cats deserve it too. Right. Uh, I guess that brings us to the end of this podcast episode. Uh, well, thank you both of you. Thank you, Laura, for being here. Thank you, Cecilia, for being an amazing co-host and for the fan fact. That was. Thank you, Laura. Was, you know oh yes. <laughs> and well, thank you, Laura, for joining us today, and uh, especially thank you to all our wonderful listeners. And um, that's it. Stay tuned for the next episode. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Laura. Bye. Thank you, guys. If you like this episode, give it a thumbs up, rate us on the podcasting app of your choice, and don't forget to share it with your friends. This podcast was produced by The Science Basement, a science communication organization based in Helsinki, Finland. Interested in getting involved or being interviewed? Get in touch at podcast at thesciencebasement.org.